0: Why Philosophical Discussions About Everyday Life is produced by the Institute for Philosophy and Public Life, a division of the University of North Dakota's College of Arts and Sciences. Visit us online at whyradioshow.org.
1: Hi, I'm Jack Russell Weinstein, host of Why, philosophical discussions about everyday life. On today's episode, we'll ask the question, should the government care about you, with our guest, Virginia Held. This is an encore presentation of an episode first broadcast in 2012. So even though we mention our phone number, we ask you not to call. Every year about this time, I watch the movie Amelie. You may remember it. It's... 2001. It was a foreign film to watch. It was the French movie of the year. It was about a young woman in Paris, kind of quirky, fun, beautifully filmed. I love the story, but what I really watch it for are the colors. They're vivid and lush, especially the greens. They dominate almost every shot. By this time of year, North Dakota has been in black and white for a long time. Even in the most mild of winters like this one, the snow and the drabness make it seem like pigments will never return. I'm not suggesting that it can't be beautiful—winter certainly has its moments—but in February there's no canola, no sunflowers, no soybeans, the blue of the sky is pale, and my thirst for the living, breathing summer vegetarian leaves me more than parched. Combined with the knowledge that there will be three more months of this, my desire for color pulls me towards the vibrant shades of Amélie. Philosophers like black and white, too. We like principles that are clearly defined, strict rules that govern activity. We like words that are precise, no ambiguities, and answers that leave no doubt. Especially when it comes to questions of ethics and justice, we want to know what to do and why to do it. Even when there is uncertainty, we like to describe it as shades of gray rather than celebrate approximation. Human life is messy, but philosophy strives for the clean, and until there are only two shades, right and wrong... Most philosophers will never be satisfied. The central rule of ethics is that no one is special, that the rules that apply to everyone else apply to each of us as well. From the perspective of the moral law, each person is interchangeable. But to parents, children are special, and the rules may be different to a spouse or partner. The person they've chosen to live with is indeed a different category than everyone else. That's the whole point of these kinds of relationships. For them, the central governing principle is care. Talking about care in such a high-contrast world is revolutionary. To suggest that love, parenthood, and personal history might have an impact on the universal rules of morality is to suggest that emotions, affections, and context might indeed have something to tell the laws that all people are supposed to follow at all time. Care is the color of ethics. It adds beauty and nuance to morality, the hot reds, cool greens, overwhelming blues. These are the colors of emotion, anger, calmness, affection. These are the emotions of daily life and the feelings that help guide our behavior. To suggest this, though, as we will see in today's episode— is to challenge two millennia of arguments that see reason as the guide for all moral activity. Logic, autonomy, individualism always seem to dominate, and relationships take a backseat to law, predictability, objectivity. We want ethics and justice to be objective in some sense. We want it to arbitrate disputes and be impartial. Can emotions do that? Can parental relationships coexist with the universal claim that we have to treat all people equally? These are the questions that we're going to ask today. And their everyday questions. Mitt Romney, for example, the Republican candidate, said that he wasn't worried about the very poor. He said they're fine. This led to an uproar, not just because many people feel that the social net is inadequate, but because to say he's not worried about them is to admit that on some level he doesn't care. Should he? Even if the poor are fine, as he says, shouldn't they still matter to him? What responsibilities does the government have to acknowledge and recognize each of us as an individual, Is bureaucracy enough? The thing is, the black and white of the North Dakota winter is alienating. It hides the complexity and appeal of nature that lies dormant underneath the snow. The same is true of aloofness. Whether or not the government should care for us, it certainly becomes less interesting and less relevant when it doesn't. Care is a reciprocal relationship, and if the government stops caring about me, I might just stop caring about it. In fact, maybe this is why so many people want it to be so much smaller. Maybe the lack of regard for us inspires a lack of regard for it. After all, as Ellie Wiesel famously said, the opposite of love is not hate, it is indifference. And indifference is just another word for not caring. Now to our guest. Virginia Held is a distinguished professor at the City University of New York. She's the author of numerous books, including The Ethics of Care, How Terrorism is Wrong, and Feminist Morality. Virginia, thank you for joining us on Why. Hi, Jack. So Virginia, I sent out the announcement for this episode of the show and almost immediately on Facebook, one of our listeners posted the response, all the government is, is a collection of people and governments can't care, only people can care. Does that jibe with your sense of what government is? Can we talk about government as a monolithic entity or do we have to talk about the people involved?
2: Well, it's a good point to think that uh, government is run by people. Um, But when we ask a question like, should the government care about you, I'm interpreting it as um, a question about the institutions of government. Uh, And institutions are various roles that people play. So the people who are um, in those roles have certain uh, responsibilities, they... um, are supposed to do what they have been uh, employed to do or elected to do. Uh, and so I'm interpreting it in terms of the role that um, uh, people in government are supposed to play. Are they um, are they supposed to care about us in the sense of um, um, being guided to some extent, at least by the values of care? Uh, care designates um, a sort of cluster of values that's quite different from justice. Uh, we're very used to thinking that government is supposed to pursue justice, uh, but not at all used to thinking in terms of uh, whether it should care about us.
1: It seems to me that this question about the institution or the person is also a question about how we think about society. It seems these days People think of America as civil society, as collection of individuals who happen to choose to live together. Are you as comfortable with that as thinking about governments as institution or do you think that also this individuality, these, these the society as a collection of individuals is, is also sort of an inadequate way of describing the issue?
2: Well, it's very inadequate to think of society as just an aggregate of individuals. Um, those individuals, those persons, have to care about each other enough to form a society. If a society um, has nothing but people who are pursuing their own interests and there's nothing to to keep them together, the society falls apart. It doesn't constitute a society. So there has to be um, a minimal level of caring about each other Uh, of being related to each other to even form a society that can sustain a political system uh, and have a government and have institutions. So um, I think uh, some level of caring relations are necessary to even have, what we're talking about in the first place, um, a society with a government
1: okay so so you had said that Claire is a uh, excuse me the care is a cluster of values L- let 's talk about that cluster because certainly, in the back of my head as as, as you 're talking about uh needing to care about others I, I I hear the libertarians and we've had we've had uh several on the show, and what they would say is you don 't really have to care about everybody. you just have to sort of care about yourself and and use other people to get what you need. You can care about people, but you don't need to. So what is this thing called care that we're talking about, and is it part and parcel of that same conversation about are we self-interested, are we altruists, how we, how do we regard our neighbor? Is it the same conversation, and, and, and what are those clusters of values?
2: The reason we're having this conversation at all is because um, feminist awareness in the last uh, – Couple of decades has led us to pay attention to things that we didn't pay attention to before, and one of them is the enormous amount of caring labor uh, that is abs- <clears throat> absolutely, <clears throat> absolutely necessary for uh, human life and development. <clears throat> um, uh, forever, women have performed huge amounts of caring labor. Uh, that has not been noticed. Uh, And it has not been thought of as relevant to the political system or relevant to morality. Uh, It's been completely taken for granted and interpreted as something that just naturally occurs. Uh, Women bring up their children the way um, um, animal mothers bring up their young. Uh, And it hasn't been thought of as being... Uh, relevant to um, government, morality. But because of uh, feminist awareness of how the experience of women is just as important and just as relevant as the experience of men, we've been paying attention to this labor, which is so absolutely necessary and that contains within it a a, a recognition of um, a different kind of value a different set of values than the ones that we've been talking about um, it's most obvious in the area of um, um, bringing up children caring for another person in a personal family context or on friends but these same values uh, are also relevant to political life and social life uh, which you can see once you make the argument But the values that I'm talking about are things like responding to need, um, sensitivity, uh, empathy, cultivating trust. If you're bringing up a child or taking care of someone who's ill, you um, have to uh, uh, engage in caring practices that incorporate these values. When we become conscious of what these values are, we can see that they shouldn't just be limited to the personal context, um, but they are also relevant to um, to government and society.
1: So you're making a very, very interesting claim. And, and And basically what you're saying is that a huge portion of the human population and also a huge portion of our day-to-day experience has largely been invisible to political philosophers and perhaps to philosophers in general, that mothering hasn't really been the focus of attention when we start to ask these questions.
2: Well, that's certainly the case. Um, uh, And what's familiar to us is the thinking that um, developed primarily uh, around the time of Hobbes and Locke um, in which uh, the, the split between public and private became very, very firm and established in people's thinking. Uh, And so, um, within the family, uh, women performed their caring activities, and men ruled the household, but men in the public's domain um, regarded each other as equals, or at least theoretically, thought of themselves as equals, getting together, uh, establishing a social contract to be the foundation for um, a government to which they had consented. But none of this uh, view of the public applied to the view of the private, which was still a a domain in which men ruled, uh, women perform their caring activities which were not thought to be relevant to um, public life.
1: So what we're talking about here is, again, a whole cluster of attitudes about how we think of the way our lives are organized, including these categories that are tremendously important for for all of us, this what is it that, that, that constitutes public, what is it that constitutes private, who has influence over whom, and Focusing on motherhood and bringing motherhood out of the private changes the way that we think about the public. You talked about Hobbes and Locke. These are uh seventeenth century philosophers who basically designate the beginning of what lo- philosophers like to call modern philosophy and, and modern political philosophy and, and that society is an agreement between people. But but motherhood right isn't an agreement in a certain sense. You don't choose who your mother is, you don't choose who your child is, and, and through much of human history you don't even get to choose whether you had a child or not. So when we're switching the private to the public and we're thinking about motherhood as this model of a political relationship, does it require us to completely change our way of thinking about how we relate to other people and the government?
2: In some ways, yes. But let's not suppose that uh, that thinking this way means that there's no more private Uh there will still be what we want to think of as private and what we want to think of as public. But the values that we can recognize that um, are most obvious in the context of family and friendship are values that are also um, very relevant to uh, government, society, um, these other areas that have not been thought of in those terms. Um, And let's contrast care and the values of care with the values of justice. We have no doubt that uh, justice is a value that's relevant and applicable in public life. Uh, Justice um, refers to a cluster of values such as equality, uh, respecting people, people's rights, um, treating people fairly. Uh, So the values of justice we already associate uh, with public life and with what government ought to be concerned with. Thinking that government ought to be concerned with care um, in many ways is quite different, quite new, uh, but it, it, um, it's it been around for quite some time that uh, on some views we would have to think about uh, people's needs and how government should uh, concern itself with those needs. Certainly the libertarian uh, thinks that government should not care about people, that government should concern itself um, with uh, um, the minimal tasks of, of uh, catching thieves and punishing murderers. But the libertarian builds the conception of government on an entirely unrealistic view of human beings as self-sufficient. Uh, the image is of a self-sufficient individual who is perfectly fine if just left alone. But this is extremely unrealistic and fails to understand uh, or notice how interconnected we are, how, how dependent we are on other people. Uh, hardly anybody grows their own food anymore. And if they do, they don't build their own tractor, they don't build their own road to take their goods to market. Um, We're all tremendously interconnected and dependent on others, and we need to notice this. And as 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 a person, as a human being, each of us is completely dependent on others for the first years of our lives. None of us would even be here if we had not um, received enormous amounts of care uh, for the early years of our lives, at least, and most of us need care at some other points in our life also. So we need to recognize and acknowledge that human beings are dependent on one another, interconnected, relations, um, tie them together, and... um, it certainly is an appropriate function of government to uh, respond to people's needs, to build trust among people, uh, to um, um, consider the welfare of citizens and uh, do the kinds of things that care would suggest. Once in a while, Uh, If you're sensitive, you understand that the best way to care for somebody is to leave them alone, but much of the time, uh, that's not the case. Getting back
1: to the main question, uh, Virginia, Jane from Grand Forks has sent in the question, is government doing fine? Should it care more? But before I can ask you that question, we actually haven't answered the main question as to whether you think the government should care. We now know what libertarians think. But but do you think the government should care? And if it should care, Jane wants to know, is it caring enough?
2: Well, I think uh – Certainly, it is an appropriate function of government to um, um, be influenced by, guided by the values of care, uh, as well as the values of justice. So, I would answer the question, yes, in the sense that the values of care are uh, relevant to um, what we think of as what government does. Uh, Now, should... Should um, government care more than it does? Uh, Certainly there are many ways in which uh, the government that we have is not adequately um, providing for people's needs. Uh, Even on the traditional grounds of government ought to respect the rights of people, uh, a, a, a plausible interpretation of the basic rights that people have would include uh, enough basic resources to be an agent, to be a free person, uh, enough food to stay alive, uh, the kind of shelter that enables one to um, be okay, uh, basic medical care. Um, most most uh, countries around the world recognize that among the basic rights that um, we ought to respect are these economic and social rights, as well as the civil and political rights of fair trial, right to vote, uh, that kind of thing. But the United States in this respect um, is way behind most other countries in not recognizing something like a basic right to the basic necessities that we need to live. There are lots of programs like food stamps or um, unemployment insurance or welfare that help out, but they are not understood as basic rights. Um, if Republicans um, get into power, they would like to do away with many of the programs that uh, help um, in in um, assuring basic rights, um, and they wouldn't be. They, we would not be able to challenge them. Um, on grounds that these are constitutional rights or human rights that ought to be respected in the U.S. legal system, because the U.S. legal system has not yet recognized them as basic rights, but um, on any reasonable understanding of what it, what it is to be a free person and have the means that one needs to um, act and be free, uh, these rights ought to be recognized um so um, these are ways that even on the traditional interpretation of government having as its uh, as one of its main functions respecting people's rights, uh, the government is not doing enough at the present time. but if we move to um, some of these values of care that uh, uh, one can argue ought to be, um, Um, More influential. Uh, There's a great deal more that should be done.
1: When we come back from the break, I want to ask you about the particular nature of caring relationships, about how we care for people who are far away, and I want to address some of the other questions that are that people are asking, including. A question about compelling people to care. But before then, we'll take a break. You're listening to Virginia Health and Jack Russell Weinstein. This is Why Philosophical Discussions About Everyday Life. We'll be back after this.
0: The Institute for Philosophy and Public Life bridges the gap between academic philosophy and the general public. Its mission is to cultivate discussion between philosophy professionals and others who have an interest in the subject, regardless of experience or credentials. Visit us on the web at philosophyandpubliclife.org. The Institute for Philosophy and Public Life. Because there is no ivory tower.
1: You're back with Why Philosophical Discussions About Everyday Life. I'm your host, Jack Russell Weinstein. We're talking with Virginia Held about the ethics of care and seeking an answer to the question, should the government care about you? As we've been talking about this, we've been talking about the relationships between mothers and child, uh, children and, and, and parenting and, and neighbors and friends and all these sorts of things. And And of course, thinking about children always gets me thinking about my own child and the experience of watching my child come into the world. Now, when we talk about ethics. Philosophers are always asking, should we do this? Should we do that? Are we free to do this? Are we free to do that? When Adina was born, I always describe it as feeling the earth shift on its axis. Nothing would ever be the same for me the moment that I saw her. I don't think that's hyperbole. I think that my day-to-day life just proves that. And so if a philosopher were to come along and say, should you care about this child, and should you care for this child, the distinction we're going to get back to in a second, I'd look at them that they were nonsensical. I'd look at them like this whole question is completely inappropriate. I have no choice to not care for this child. This child is an essential part of how I see myself. Now I understand there are plenty of parents who walk away from their children, but it didn't seem like I could ever theorize or justify or explain or philosophize about my relationship with this child, and I don't think I still could. I don't think that even in the six years that she has been a part of my life, that I could ever offer a philosophical explanation for why I should feel the way about her that I do. I just feel the way that I do, and I think that that describes a lot of if not most people's experience of seeing their children, and of living a life with a child. So, Virginia, getting back to our question, is it possible to philosophize about should or should not care for your child? I mean, is is this the right set of questions when we're talking about such an intimate, powerful, foundational emotion such as care?
2: Well, that's a very moving description of uh – um what what a fundamental challenge um, thinking about care provides to the traditional ways of thinking about ethics because you can you can interpret the dominant moral theories of Kantian morality or utilitarianism uh, as a kind of um, expansion into the whole of morality of what we think uh, traditionally about, political life. Um, Impartiality is uh, um, the highest requirement. Um, Justice is the um, predominant uh, value. And um, um, rights are the fundamental uh, ways in which we think about um, what we ought to do. Um, And yes, when you think about uh, your relation to your child—it challenges um, uh, the 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 priority of impartiality because um, what you feel towards your child, and it's a it's a sense of moral obligation, not just something that you think um, you can't help feeling, even if it's immoral. Uh, It's a sense of um, compelling um, moral concern. Uh, And it's a challenge to the impartiality of traditional morality. And it's a challenge to the um, view that morality should rest in some way entirely on reason. Because a lot of the emotions we feel for those closest to us uh, are valuable emotions um, morally morally important and um, morally important emotions that contribute to morality and we need to understand um, how to uh, think about these things um, in a way that is uh, uh, recognizing that this is not just a domain that happens our, our um, lives as parents, as family members, as friends, uh, we, we have um, moral concerns in this domain and we look for moral guidance and we're trying to figure out morally uh, what we ought to do as parents, as friends. So it's a fundamental challenge to morality, as traditionally uh, conceptualized, to Give its appropriate importance to the experience we have uh, in this domain, in the domain of care, uh, of um, um, being engaged in caring practices uh, and understanding the values involved. And when we do that, we have to rethink uh, uh, the the kinds of moralities that have been dominant and also um, rethink. Um, how we think about politics and society.
1: Aaron from Bismarck asks whether we're obligated to take care of children, uh, the elderly, the disabled. He also asks whether how this relates to free will. And But before we answer that question specifically, as in preparation, when we're talking about care, are we talking about caring for someone or caring about them? And how do those two things relate? And what I mean by that is, We can certainly care for people we dislike. Uh, We can be employed to care for people. Uh, Dependency workers or caregivers do this quite often. They may not care about them the way that, let's say, I care for Adina or the way that another parent cares for another child or just friends care for other friends. At the same time, there are people who care for people or sorry, who care about people, but who don't have the ability, either the means or the skills to care for them. What's the relationship between caring for and caring about them? And how does that relate to our obligation to care and whether or not we can force people to care about or for anybody?
2: Well, I think they are different. Um, when you take care of someone, uh, you are involved in, in uh, work. Um, taking care of someone is work, and we should never forget how much work is involved uh, you can care about something uh, just in the sense of being interested in it or um, paying some attention. You read newspaper stories about that, but not uh, something else because you care about it. Um, but that's kind of different from taking care of somebody. Uh, and the care that we are often referring to uh, in, in um, the ethics of care, because by now, this alternative way of approaching morality has developed, and we refer to it as the ethics of care. Uh, the values that we're emphasizing in the ethics of care uh, have to do with a lot more than just caring about people. Um, yes, you can uh, take care of somebody um, without feeling anything Um mm-hmm in the way of affection for them, it's just your job, but that's not usually very good care. Certainly it's not good care for a child uh, to go through the motions of stuffing food in their mouth or um, putting them down to sleep. Uh, It's much better care if you care about the person and care in some emotional sense and um, uh, have emotional attitudes that are appropriate to caregiving. Um, so when we're, when we're discussing this in a moral context, we're not just talking about the practices that have arisen. Uh, we're talking about good care. What are the values and standards that ought to be incorporated into these practices? And how should the practices be transformed so that they will be morally better? Uh, And we're certainly not just talking about care as it has actually evolved or developed because um, traditionally it's been structured in ways that have been very exploitative of women. So we want to talk about care as it ought to be practiced, as it ought to be conducted. And... uh, and talk about the ways in which it ought to be improved. And then it's a practice that, of course, men should participate in just as much as women. Um, care is valuable. Uh, everyone needs care, and um, uh, it ought to be engaged in um, by men as well as women. It's not appropriate to think of it as, as an activity um, for women. Now, when we ask, should government care, the people who uh, are so much opposed to government caring um, misunderstand care because they think of it only from the point of view of um, something like the, the domineering mother, the nosy social worker... Um, the bossy nurse, and they, they encapsule this in the phrase, the nanny state, and lots of people don't want a nanny state for very understandable reasons, um, but that's not to say government shouldn't care because it misunderstands care as automatically being that kind of care. Whereas, and this is very important, care should be thought of just as much from the point of view of the recipient of care as from the provider of care, and if you were if you were poorly cared for as a child, um, think about how you should have been cared for. Um, if your caregivers were bossy and domineering, then that was not good care, and you you can understand from thinking about um, how you ought to have been cared for in. Um, the best kinds of ways, you can think of that as uh, what we should aspire to in the way of developing caring practices. Caring practices ought to be sensitive, um, non-paternalistic, uh, not um, domineering, uh, and and we ought to try to develop caring practices that are um, reflective of the best values not just um, some version of uh, what has happened in the past under um, very often uh, um, very unsatisfactory conditions
1: now you you had just said that that care shouldn't be paternalistic right uh, in the in the sense that and, and in the sense that Government isn't supposed to infantilize anybody it's not supposed to make decisions for people yet at the same time, we are making some sort of an argument that that government should be in some sense maternalistic and care for people modeling that care on the kind of dependency and growth that comes from the mother child relationship
2: so no, I wouldn't like to put it I wouldn't like to put it that way, okay because Uh, We shouldn't think of, that's another way that care is very often misunderstood, as something like um, altruism, um, benevolence. um, uh, It's not a conflictual situation in which it's either be egoistic or be altruistic, because those are just the reverse of each other. It's a cooperative relationship. Parents want their children to do well uh, to grow and develop um, and to have a good relation between them. Uh, and it's a cooperative relation in which they're mutually seeking um, the, the growth and development of the child and the um, um, parent achieving their their uh, objectives of bringing that about. And then it's the parents that get old and second and weak, uh, and the children might feel an obligation to take care of the parents or um, um, uh, might, might again be thought of as wanting the parents to be okay, to be cared for, to be um, getting what they need. So it can again be thought of best as a cooperative relationship, not... Um, a conflictual situation, and somebody in which somebody has to be either egoistic or altruistic. Okay, so
1: with with this in mind, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, Caitlin's question from Grand Forks, which is, how do we care about people who are far away from us, or how do we care about people who we may not know? Isn't isn't part of the role of government to do precisely those sorts of things? But that's not necessarily what we usually think of as care. It is thinking of of things as entitlements or laws or protections. So a a different person uh, asked about the minimal state while you were talking and and is the government uh, required to do more than just protect? And I think Caitlin's question is is going to the same heart, to to the same point, which is how can we describe care, which points to particular relationships, when we're talking about strangers or people very far from us?
2: It's going, to be, it's going to be a very weak version of care compared to how you feel about your own family. Um, but yes, we can care about very distant people uh, in the sense that uh, we're not indifferent to them, um, and we care enough about them to um, want them to um, be okay, uh, not have to die of starvation, Um, lots of humanitarian efforts uh, show that people do care to some extent uh, about very distant people. Um, That can be um, reflected much more effectively and satisfactorily um, in uh, other things than um, the occasional humanitarian effort by some private group. Very often, we could think that, that um, uh, f- for at least a certain range of, of uh, concerns that we have of this kind, government is a much more um, appropriate way of um, having what we care about put into effect. Um, there's very little that we as individuals very often can do uh, to alleviate the suffering of people, of a lot of people um, who are strangers and distant to us. Uh, yes, we can send some money to some charity, or we can we can um, work for some charity for some parts of our lives, and so on. But very often, at least for our fellow the fellow members of our own um, society or our fellow citizens, government is a much more effective way to uh, carry out uh, the kind of um, caring that we have for those that are distant to us. Um, It's going to be a very different kind of care that we uh, feel and and engage in um, when when the people are strangers and far away. But it is can it can still be very well thought of as a version um of care. That's very interesting
1: because in essence we finally answered the very first question that we asked, which is it's not so much that that, that government is a collection of people and not an institution, but what government also seems to be is a tool that extends our own care to other people. It makes our arms longer. It makes our eyes see better. And so what government is, is the institution and the agency that allows us to care about people we don't know, that it is, it is the thing that connects us to people that, that we wouldn't be able to care about if we didn't know they existed or if we couldn't communicate to them.
2: Yeah, I think to some extent that's right. Um, And, um, it's, uh, it's partly that it's an appropriate function of government to see that um, uh, the needs of people are met, that uh, the needs of citizens are, are met, and it's partly a way for us other citizens um, to, to um, carry out uh, what we think of as what we ought to be doing for our fellow citizens
1: we have a few minutes left, and, and Aaron has sent a question. And Aaron's clearly read some of your work because he's taking a quote and he's throwing it back at you, which oh. which we always really enjoy. He, he's quoting you as saying the ethics of care may not itself provide adequate theoretical resources for dealing with justice, and he wants you to explain it. So, in other words, he's quoting you as saying that 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 the ethics of care doesn't necessarily have all the theory behind it that a theory of justice has and may not be able to answer all of the same questions.
2: Well, that's right. Um, Let's not forget the the ethics of care as an alternative moral theory is only a couple of decades old. So it's still in the very initial stages of being developed. Um, There are some theorists who think that care and empathy can do all the work of uh, answering the moral questions um I don't think that. I think that um, we do want to maintain justice, that justice is different uh, as, a, as a major moral concept. It's different from care, but it's also something that we want to um, recognize the uh, extremely important value of <clears throat> and recognize its place in our institutions. I think it's, I think it is appropriate. For, the, for a legal system to have as its highest, prior, highest priority, justice, so a legal system should have um, as its highest priority, justice, and that means respect for rights, equality, um, uh, giving people what they are due, that kind of value, impartiality. Um, but this the system of justice, the legal system, in my view, should be embedded in a wider ne- network of caring relations. We were talking before about how a society can't cohere without some degree of people caring about each other. There have to be some uh, relations holding a society together before you can even have a system of justice, a legal system. Uh, and I think that should be thought of as um, a wider network of caring relations that eventually should include the whole globe. But for now, uh, it includes something like the, <clears throat> the social system within which we have um, states, uh, governments, and um, legal systems, that kind of thing. Uh, so justice is different from care in the sense that the meanings uh, are different uh, what's being referred to as its constituent values, basic values, can be different. Um, but uh, we need both, in my view, uh, to understand a great many things that need to be done. And within a justice within a system of justice, a legal system, uh, justice should take priority. But there are lots and lots of things that we're concerned with that are primarily questions of law. They're questions of, um, um, say, the budget. What should the budget spend on this, that, or the other? Um, and uh, law is involved, but it's not primarily a question of of law to make these um, determinations between uh, where we're going to put our effort into this, that, or the other and in, in, in cases like that, very often, considerations of care uh, should have priority. In a healthcare system, care should have priority, even though justice shouldn't be absent. Yes, you want to treat people fairly. Uh, and um, there are many ways in which, even in, in a family, justice has some place you should be fair to your children and you should respect their rights, but that's not at all the primary consideration. Um, The ethics of care has the uh, important advantage that it's not based on any religion, which could be divisive. You know, it's part of the reason that um, there's a lot of division between um, moral outlooks. The ethics of care is based on experience that really is universal, The experience that every person has had of being cared for uh, and that lots and lots of people have had um, from every culture of providing care. Uh, So it really is based on universal experience in a way that I think is very valuable and important.
1: So that's, that's a really interesting idea because, of course, so many of the ethical theories that we deal with try to appeal to the universal and say it applies to everyone. Right. But what you're suggesting is that actually one of the things that makes the ethics of care special is that it's not just that it applies to everybody, but that every single person already has an experience of
2: it. Right. Yes, that's right.
1: That is an outstanding place for us to stop, that that we need both justice and care, and that part of the trick is to figure out what realms they work best and what realms they work complementary to one another. Virginia Hell, thank you so much for joining us on well, Why. Well, thank you
2: so much for asking me.
1: This has been Why, Philosophical Discussions About Everyday Life. I'm your host, Jack Russell Weinstein. We'll be back right after this.
0: Visit IPPL's blog, PQED, Philosophical Questions Every Day. For more philosophical discussions of everyday life, comment on the entries and share your points of view with an ever-growing community of professional and amateur philosophers. You can access the blog and view more information on our schedule, our broadcasts, and the Y Radio Store at www.philosophyandpubliclife.org.
1: You're back with Why Philosophical Discussions About Everyday Life. I'm your host, Jack Russell Weinstein. We've been seeking an answer to the question, should the government care about you? And it is an interesting quirk of these sorts of questions that they seem somewhat isolated. So a lot of times when we were talking about whether the government should care, it got interpreted as should the government only care? And in the last bit of discussion, we saw that the government shouldn't only care, it should be concerned with justice. It should be concerned with law. It should be concerned with, with a whole range of things. Care is one of them. But care seems to be the thing that holds it together because the government is an agent for care. It allows us to expand our notion of care and allows us to expand our connections to other people. Yes, we will feel more intensely the care we have for our children, for our loved ones, for our family, for our neighbors, for our friends. But that doesn't mean we don't have to care for other people, people who we might only know in theory, for lack of a better term. It's also tremendously interesting to be part of a conversation that's fairly new in philosophy. The ethics of care is only 30, 40 years old, and it's competing with these theories that have been around for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years. And yet it's founded in this idea of women's labor that has been around as long as human history. And It is astonishing yet again that there was something new that we've noticed based on something that's been around for so long. How is it possible that we as a people, we as philosophers, we as thinkers, we as political idea makers are so blind to things that are right in front of us? Care is the thing that we take most often for granted because care is the thing that, if we are lucky, has been around since the day we are born, and therefore – It's time to think about care in a different context and not just as a part of our past. You've been listening to Why Philosophical Discussions About Everyday Life. As always, it's an honor to be with you.
0: Why is funded by the Institute for Philosophy and Public Life. Public Broadcasting, and the University of North Dakota's College of Arts and Sciences and Division of Research and Economic Development. Skip Wood is our studio engineer. The music is written and performed by Mark Weinstein and can be found on his album Lua E. Soul. For more of his music, visit jazzfluteweinstein.com or myspace.com slash markweinstein. Philosophy is everywhere you make it, and we hope we've inspired you with our discussion today. Remember, as we say at the Institute, there is no ivory tower.